right, open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. If future you could sit down with current you and have a conversation about your life, what would future you say to current you? What if current you could sit down with younger you and have a really, really candid conversation? How many of you would want to just punch younger you in the face? Am I the only one who feels that way, right? Let's throw down younger Michael. What would current you say to younger you about that time when you freaked out because you didn't think you could afford these kids? Anyone else? Okay, good. What would current you say to younger you about that time that you stressed whether or not you would be able to make ends meet? You went up to bed every night, sleepless nights. What would current you say to former you who lost their job and had no idea what the future held? What would current you say to former you about that time you wondered whether or not those people would accept you, like you, give you the job, or whatever it is? What would, what would current you say to younger you about fill in the blank? Have you ever noticed that current you or future you knows something that current you doesn't know? Have you ever noticed that? It's like, like future you is always onto something. Future you is always clear-headed. Future you is always calm. Future you is always filled with perspective and common sense. Do you ever feel like even in moments of anxiety and stress, like current you lacks perspective, lacks calm, lacks a cool, clear-headed, calm perspective? Like I, I feel like in the midst of concern or anxiety or struggle, like I need future me to sit down with me, slap me in the face, punch me one or two times and say, now listen, listen, it's gonna be fine. Future you has been there. This thing's gonna pan out better than you think it will. And it's interesting because we sometimes can give ourselves the absolute best advice, but we just refuse to take our own advice. So again, turn with me, Matthew chapter six. And uh, what I wanna do before we get into this text is I wanna give you a flyover and, and I want you to see what is gonna be a very common theme in this text. So uh, Matthew chapter six, verse 25 says, therefore I tell you, do not be, what is the word? Anxious about your life. Verse 28 says, and why are you? anxious about clothing. Verse 31 says, therefore do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. Verse 34 says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. What's the theme? Anxiety. Some of you are wrong. It's not anxious. That is grammatically incorrect. The theme is anxiety. You could substitute this word for worry or fear or nervousness. And Anyone have a propensity to these? You can raise your hand. You're all liars. Okay, good. Um, some of you did raise your hand in honesty, and I appreciate that. These are emotions, and they are experiences that are fundamentally human. They are normal for everyone, but I need you to hear this. This is important. They are the result almost exclusively all the time of sin inside of us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing primarily, not exclusively, but primarily impoverished Jewish 
men and women and children. Uh, men who, and women and children and families who are living under the oppression of Rome in a, an agrarian culture where if you did not have rain, you did not have food or provision or water. Uh, this was a very, very concerned group of people who wondered on a regular basis, will I eat tomorrow? Will I have shelter tomorrow? Will Rome take my stuff away? Will I be overtaxed by the Jewish hierarchy? Will it rain? Basic fundamental questions about their every, everyday life. So as image bearers, especially as Christians, we have two primary things that are going to fill us with worry or anxiety. Number one, it's essentials. It's the everyday life things. It's the drinking, it's eating, it's food, it's clothes, it's job, it's the fundamentals of what you need. But the second thing, and here's what you find, in opulent cultures like America, in first world cultures, here's what you find. The majority of our anxieties shift from essentials to idols. Where the majority of our worries and our concerns, where our thoughts go, go to things like our homes, our reputation, our performance, people's opinions, our haircuts, our standard of living, the endless things there are to be worried about. And we're not even thinking about essentials. Praise God that we don't have to worry about that. But we invest our hearts and our emotions and our minds and our thoughts into these very temporal things. So here's what the mature Christ follower knows. The mature Christ follower knows to the core of their being something that when believed eradicates anxiety. And here's what you also know. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you see anxiety, worry, nervousness, all of that twitchy stuff rear its head, here's what you know. That the believer in Jesus Christ has temporarily forgot something really essential about who God is. Is. So let's, let's define our terms, and then we're going to answer some of these ideas here. Uh, anxiety is unnecessary worry about possible futures. Have you ever noticed that the futures you worry about almost never, ever happen? Like, I'll be sitting there, and I'm like, okay, if I confront this person, will they beat me up, yell at me, and then stab me in the throat? Probably not. Okay, don't go there, Michael. That's, that's a little extreme. But our, our possible, possible futures tend to be the worst versions of things, and they almost never actually pan out the way our anxiety tells us they will. Now, there's something I gotta say to you on the front end to make sure we are all crystal clear on this one. Jesus is not addressing 21st century clinical diagnoses. That's not what he's addressing. Uh, he is addressing primarily the human instinct and impulse because of sin to obsess about temporal earthly things that he has already committed to provide for us. So I, I gotta call this out also because some of you, um, you have justified your anxiety and your worry and your nervousness with what I would call the great American lie. The lie that I am hearing all the stinking time. And the lie is this. This is just who I am. I was born this way. And you hear this lie justify everything from why people do certain things to their sexuality. The list goes on and on and on. And I'm sorry to tell you that sin has created in us impulses that are broken. And so just, it's just the way I am, it's just who I am, I was born this way, is never for the mature Christian a legitimate excuse to justify our sin ever. Even innocuous, seemingly unimportant and irrelevant things like anxiety or worry. It's interesting that Jesus is now speaking into one of the most common human experiences, our propensity to worry about the most basic things of life. 
So here's, here's what we need to do on the front end. If you're a follower of Jesus, we need to get clear-headed about anxiety. It is sin and it is slander against your heavenly father. Anxiety is sin and it's slander about your heavenly father. If you look at point number one in your notes with me, it says, what does my anxiety preach about God? Uh, you've heard this, your life is a sermon. It is. You are literally declaring by your behavior, by your anxiety, by your decisions, by your disciplines, you are declaring things about God to your wife, to your husband, to your kids, to your neighbors, to your family, to non-Christians. We are regularly declaring and anxiety makes very clear declarations about God from us. There are things that our anxiety declares about God that I would never, ever say with my lips, but my behavior is communicating. Uh, verse 25 says uh, this, therefore I tell you, do not be what? Anxious about your life. Number one, my anxiety preaches that God does not have the future buttoned down. Is, does God know the future? Please say yes. Yes, here's what we say. Uh, God is sovereign over the past, pre past, present, and future. And here's what that means, that there is no event in history that has happened, is happening, or will happen that has not first been ordained, allowed, or permitted by God. Take one of the three options. There is no event that happens where God was like, I could have stopped it, but I didn't or couldn't. Like, there's never a moment where God was caught off guard or something was outside of his sovereign control. Like, ever. It's just not humanly possible. So here's, here's, here's what we say. My anxiety is going to preach that God doesn't have the future buttoned down, and that is a flat-out, total lie. Therefore, I tell you, he says in verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat. Look for the word will. Or what you will drink. Nor about your body. What you will put on. All of the wills thrust you into the future. And this is the normal propensity for everyone in this room to look at the what ifs and to be concerned that it's not going to work out. That somehow God doesn't have those basic things like food and clothing and shelter covered for you, his children. I want you to notice the word life. He says in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. At the bottom of verse 25, he says, is not life more than food? Uh, life does not mean your actual, like, physical body. The Greek word is suke, which basically, let me give you a, a, an analogy of how this would be translated. Get a life. Do you have a life? It's this idea of the things you value and the things that are important to you and the things that consume your mind and consume your time. This is the idea of life. It's the, we'll say, the non-physical, more ethereal version of what is most valuable to you. Here's what he says. Uh, this is what your life is. Your, your life is more than what you're going to eat. Some people make what they eat their whole life. It's more than what you're going to drink. It's more than what you put on your body. These are just temporal things. And God, Jesus is entering into this and saying, look, you're investing all of your time, your treasure, your talents into these temporal things. And as long as you do that, you're going to miss the whole point about building my kingdom here. Uh, I think what Jesus wants to really make clear is that whatever you're worrying about is almost always what you're worshiping. Uh, whatever you're worried about it's almost always a mirror to the idols that we have in our life. And so I think if, if, if Jesus could sit down with us, I think he would take this iPad, throw it out, and then he would look at all of you and he would say, all right, listen, listen, listen. 
I have greater things for you to be concerned about. I get it, I get it, life is hard. You lost your job, you lost your income, you lost your stuff, you lost this, you lost that. I get that there's so many things that are uncertain. That's life. If it hasn't happened yet, it will happen. Things are just gonna be hard. This is normal, okay? I've got the eating, drinking, and clothing thing down. You don't worry about that. That's my job. I'll take care of you. Here's your job. Invest your limited and accountable energy elsewhere. Find something of more eternal value to take all of this energy that you have and invest it there. Because the moment you invest it with anxiety and worry and temporal things, the absolute inevitable and immediate result is that your energy will be zapped and you will not be able to spend it on the kingdom of God. It's an either or option here. And so in those moments where your energy or those seasons, when you are zapped with worry, you will not be investing in the kingdom of God, which is what is most valuable and pays back the best dividends. Number two, my anxiety preaches that God does not value me. Maybe even that God has forgotten me. I mean, I would never, ever want to look at someone especially a non-Christian or my children, and communicate to them in any way, shape, or form that I personally, Michael Fueling, am not of utmost importance to God personally. And yet here's what anxiety does. Anxiety communicates. It communicates that God is distracted, that maybe I'm important generally as a part of a larger number, but individually, personally, I'm not that important to God. He says in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. Just stop here for a moment. A couple months ago, I would not have thought twice about this. I just got chickens a couple months ago. They're dumb as rocks. They literally eat rocks. Like, um, don't get me wrong. I love my chickens because they feed me eggs every single day, which I'm really grateful for. Um, but I have learned so much about birds. Um, it's crazy because they never had a mother hen to teach them. They come out, they hatch out of these eggs. We buy them as little chicks, right? And then it's like intuitively God is hardwired into the very fabric of their DNA, like the ability to know how to hide from predators, the ability to know how to find food underground, the ability to know I need to eat rocks because if I don't eat rocks, I'll never create the shell of an egg. Like the things that birds intuitively know that God has hardwired into their very system, God has done these things. It's amazing. He says this, um, that they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, which would be ridiculous if birds started building barns to store stuff. That's what squirrels do. They're definitely not Christians. And so, (laughs) seriously, yet your father, your heavenly father, he feeds them. And then he says, okay, are you not more valuable than they are? Like my chickens stop making eggs. We're having chicken noodle soup for dinner, right? Right? No? Is that too far? Okay. That's not happening. We're not going to be doing that, apparently. We'll buy other people's chickens and eat those ones, because if I name them, I'm unable to eat them. I got it. We're all on the same, we're all on the same page here. Okay, good, good. Uh, I want you to notice something about, about what God promises. This is going to be hard um, for some of you, because in our brains, uh, some of us are prosperity Christians, and we don't even know it. Let me tell you how. Because if God doesn't preserve your current standard of living— that God is not performing for you, that God has not kept his word to you. Here, here's what's interesting. God does not promise us wealth or riches, but enough. So here's what happens in, in American society, right? We are filled with anxiety and worry, not because the essentials won't be met, but because our life will feel demoted, 
because our house will get smaller, because our net worth will go down. That what we're really concerned about are not the most important things, and we're filled with anxiety. And then when our net worth goes down, our house gets smaller, and things don't work out like we wanted to, and we don't make as much money as we used to, we get frustrated with God as if God ever promised you that you will always make more money than you make today. And that's just not how it works. And so what happens is people have hard things in life. They lose their money. They lose their job. Things happen. Catastrophe will come upon you. Things you never wanted nor expected. And here's what God has not promised. He has not promised that he's going to make your life easy and give you more money till the day you die. He may give you a lot of money and then say, give it all away. He may give you no money. He can do whatever he wants. But here's, here's his commitment. I'll give you what you need. I'll give you what you need. If you're my son, if you're my daughter, I'll give you what you need. Don't worry about all of this. Do you know how dumb it would look for your chickens to start storing up food for the winter? Sometimes that's how I feel about you because you're not doing it out of faith or obedience. You're doing it out of fear and anxiety and worry and a lack of trust. So don't be like a chicken. Don't be like a bird. Don't be like a squirrel. Think differently about these things. I want to share with you Romans chapter 8, a verse you've heard a thousand times. Here's the deal. Um, If you struggle with anxiety, there are sometimes these verses that you need to just soak in and that at first your heart wants to push away the truth inside of this verse and you got to grab it and then believe it and repeat it to yourself over and over again. And here's Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let me be clear. If God the Father gave you Jesus, and he paid that much attention to your needs, how much more will he take care of your basic needs? How much more? How much more? The answer is, he absolutely will. I love the question from Jesus. Are you not of more value than they are? And when, the, when life happens, which is what is inevitably going to come your way, here's what you do. You declare by your response, by killing anxiety and worry and fear, by killing it, you make a declaration about God that he is not just some distant, aloof deity. He is your heavenly father who pays specific and meticulous attention to you and to your needs. And even if he demotes your standard of living, you will worship him because he has never, ever, ever once let you down. Three, my anxiety preaches that God is not trustworthy. Does this all feel kind of negative, by the way? Jesus takes a really negative twist here. It's almost like he wants to expose what's really going on. Verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Like, isn't that great? Like, by the way, it does nothing for you. It is completely useless and worthless, and it is really one of the dumbest, most illogical things you could possibly do. Um, Not too long ago, I had a a really unique privilege to sit down uh, with a, a, a young girl. She was under 10 years old, and she had an event coming up. And uh, she was really, 
really nervous. I had a chance to sit down with her and, and I asked her, how are you feeling about this? And she was really articulate, emotionally aware, and she was just using all of these adjectives to describe what she was feeling. So um, I took out a piece of paper and on the left side of the piece of paper, I was just writing down um, the words, the emotions that she was experiencing. I'm scared, I'm nervous, I'm afraid, I don't know what's gonna happen, I don't know what it's gonna be like. And I was looking at the event and for, for this girl, the event was a legitimate event and uh, I saw it. So then I said, okay, I'm gonna draw the event and I I drew the event on the piece of paper. And I said, now here's what I want you to do. I drew a line all the way to the other side of the paper and I said, I drew a stick figure of her. I said, that's you. You're prettier than that, but that's you, okay. What would future you say to current you? And so she so articulately said, it's gonna be just fine. It's not that big of a deal you're gonna be totally okay. I just started writing down everything she was saying and she was so clear-headed, she was so encouraging, she was so right on and spot on about what she should be feeling. And it was interesting because even in that moment, this young girl was able to use future her to tell current her what she really needed to hear in that moment. Well, uh, about a week or two after it happened, I sat down with her and I said, how did it go? And she said, it was great. I said, did any of your fears happen? And she said, no, in fact, none of them happened. I said, okay, now what would current you tell younger you in that moment? She said, I would tell younger me, don't worry about it. It's gonna be fine. You actually will like the outcome, believe it or not. It's gonna be all right. Don't you feel like sometimes you could use future you to sit down with you, give you a big hug, slap you in the face and say, now let's talk about this for a moment. It's gonna be just fine. Verse 28, and says, why are you anxious about clothing? This is God's jurisdiction. This is God's domain. Don't worry about this. Consider the lilies of the field. This is literally the wildflowers of the field, all different colors, absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. Consider how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, Solomon, even Solomon, the wealthiest man up to this point who had ever lived, in all of his glory, He was not arrayed like one of these. Even Solomon could not purchase enough beautiful outfits to give him a little bit of the glory that the wildflowers of the fields had. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is just thrown into the oven, it's temporary, will he not much more clothe you? Now here's the clincher. O you of little faith. My anxiety preaches that God is not trustworthy. I don't ever, ever want to communicate, non-verbally or verbally, that my Heavenly Father is anything less than 100% reliable. And yet, I have to own, when I grow anxious, I am preaching a sermon with my life that is declaring that I don't in this moment believe that my heavenly father has things under control. Uh, One of the things um, I say often to you, and believe it to the core of my being, is that if you knew what God knew, you would do what God does every time. If you knew what God knew, if you knew the future God knew, if you understood how all of this would pan out, you would allow what God allows, you would permit what God permits, and you would ordain what what God ordains. And then when you get to the end of it all and you get back and you're in heaven and you look over the panorama of history, you will look at him and say, you are a pure and utter genius 
and you are my heavenly father who is attentive to my every need and my every want every single step of the way. The challenge is believing that in the middle of the crisis. The assumption here again is life is going to get hard. The assumption for his audience right now is that life is objectively hard. Verse 31, he says, therefore, do not be what? Anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Number four, my anxiety preaches that God is aloof. That God is aloof. He says this, for the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Notice two things. Number one, worry is the activity of a Gentile or non-Christian. That is the activity of them. They worry about these things. You Christians, Jesus has set you apart, promised you fundamental provisions. Um, that He's got that covered. Don't worry about that. Your job is to worry about the kingdom. Your job is to worry about bigger things. Your job is to worry about not these temporal things, but to invest your time and energy into much, much better things. But you need, you need to catch this, that your anxiety is rooted in a wrong view of God. And I want you to notice that he calls them your heavenly father. Dads are attentive to the needs of their sons and daughters. And to be worried in this circumstance is to communicate that God is anything less than an attentive father who doesn't just have a general idea of your needs, but what? Knows them. He knows them personally, he knows them intimately, and he's not just aware of them and then walks off like his deistic self, not really paying attention to the details of life. He actually, actually knows and cares and is engaged. And in the moment, you're probably feeling, but it doesn't feel that way. And future you will always come to current you and say, it's gonna be fine. When this all pans out, you will declare the glory of God in worship and declare him to be a genius. Believe me, future you is always more clear-headed than current you. Uh, point number two in your notes, the antidote to my anxiety is, Scripture gives two big antidotes. Uh, I, gotta, I gotta give you a little bit of a preface here because antidotes take time to work, and what I find with a lot of people is they're like, how do you fix it? How do you make it right? Well, the deeper the problem, the longer it takes to fix. And uh, I'm sorry to say that your anxiety will probably not be overcome today, um, nor will most of the sins that you're dealing with. Every once in a while, someone gets saved, God eradicates their huge, enormous sins from their life, and they never go back to it. Kudos for you. That's not the story for most of us. For most people, sin is eradicated not when the moment we come to Christ. Legally, our sin is dealt with before God, we're forgiven. But the reality in our mind and our body of sin, it is eradicated slowly through discipline and through the power of the Holy Spirit over a long period of time. That is how sin is eradicated. Most people think sin is like a paper cut. It's not that big of a deal, and if I just ignore it, it'll take care of itself. That is not the case. Sin is more like heroin addiction. It is devastating, and it's powerful, and it's in your blood, and it takes time to wean off, and even then, after years and years, there's still this propensity inside of you toward it. And it's not something you can ignore. It's something you have to be disciplined and intentional about and you need to give it time and you need the help of the Holy Spirit all along the process. So when we talk about antidotes to sin issues, we're not talking about quick fixes. 
And between today and the day you maybe overcome anxiety like 95%, the shed blood of Christ covers every anxious moment of your life. So that when you stand before God in the day of judgment, he will 100% have dealt with the legal guilt of your sin. But right now, some of you need to know this. I'm gonna give you some antidotes, but this is not a fix. This is a lifestyle. Ready for it? Number one, here's what happens. Verse 32. For the Gentiles seek... That's going to be the key word. After all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So what you seek will either amplify or alleviate your anxiety. What you seek will either either amplify or alleviate your anxiety. Let's look at verse 33. But what is the word? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What are all these things? It is not big houses. It is not more money. It is the essentials of life. It is the things that you need so that your time and energy and attention can be on building the kingdom of God. Uh, last week, Pastor Craig gave an incredible message about investing in the kingdom of God. I wanna read to you now the key verse from that text and I wanna show you why this is so relevant. Here's what, here's what it says. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to watch the order of this. What you invest your money in, what you invest your emotions in, there's a cause and effect relationship here. The cause is I, I invest, and the effect is what follows that investment. Your heart. Your heart. This, okay, let me just blow your minds for a moment, okay? Um, this is like a one-on-one psychological, spiritual principle that God has wired into like humanity, okay? When you invest into something, it changes your heart. So I'll give you an analogy. I was a youth pastor at 19 years old. I had these kids. I loved them. And I thought to myself, I will never, ever love a group of students more than I love this group of students. It was, it was my favorite group of kids ever at the time. I come to Village Church in 2003, and I'm nervous because I'm like, I'm never going to love these kids like I love those other kids. A couple months into it, I had this thought. I don't think I could ever love a group of kids more than I love this group of kids. And then when I transitioned to be the lead pastor of Village Church, I was like, I don't know if I can really love these adults like I do the kids. They're just grown up like their hearts are harder, you know, their problems are worse, you know. And, and, uh, and, and about six months in, I, I realized, I'm like, I don't think I could love a group of adults more that I love this church. Like, it was just amazing because what I invested my time and my prayer and my energy and my money and my heart just followed it, right? So you get this couple and they hate each other. They're married, but they're in a cold war and they're bitter. And so when they invest in bitterness, well, then what, what happens to their heart? It grows bitter. Like, most people don't know this, but like the actual secret to changing your heart on something is to intentionally use your will, the self control that God gives you, inject it the opposite direction of your impulses over time and with discipline. And when you invest in things, your heart inevitably follows. It's why Jesus is like, Oh, you have that enemy, they're persecuting you? Pray for them. And you know what happens when you invest your prayers into your enemies? You love them. It's the weirdest, dumbest thing on the planet. Then they start making fun of you, and you're like, oh, that's adorable. I love you, right? It's so crazy. It's this awesome principle that what you invest in, actually your heart just follows along like a caboose. 
And so here's what we see here is that, look, whatever you're seeking will either amplify your anxiety or it will alleviate. If you pursue and seek the things of this world, then that's just your concern day in and day out. Anxieties over this stuff will go up and the kingdom of God will not be your first priority. It's just the rhythm of the world, the way God has made it. What you invest in transforms your heart, transforms your worry, transforms your anxiety. That's number one. Antidote number two comes from, from Philippians chapter four, verses four to seven. I'll put it on the screen or you can turn there in your Bibles. Here's what Paul says to the church in Philippi. The Lord is at hand. He's gonna come back at any time now. And when he does, you're gonna be like, ah, oh, it was all a total waste of time. You're gonna regret every anxious thought you ever had. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. So can you or should you be anxious about anything? Of course, the answer is no. So a right view of God gets rid of anxiety. It turns anxiety into expectation. So you lose your job. You lose this sense of norm. You lose something of value to you, right? And the world looks at you and they say, you should be so nervous, anxious, worried. What are you gonna do? I'm so sorry. And here's what the mature Christian does. The mature Christian says, I am so excited to see what God is gonna do with this. He has literally never forsaken me now and he will, in the past, and he will not forsake me. I'm so excited. Future me, if he could just sit down, he'd put his arms around me, give me a hug, and say, you, I cannot wait for you to see what God is gonna form in you and do through you because of right now what is happening in your life. And that's where future you just gives you this amazing clarity. So the Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, I love this, by prayer and supplication and grumbling, is that what he says? That's not what he says. I'm sorry. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. The whole point of praying is because something, like when you're asking supplication, asking something from God, you're asking him for something because something isn't working. I don't pray to God in the morning and be like, Lord, help me brush my teeth. We don't talk to God about things that we have the power to do. We talk to God about things that are not okay or in our capacity to control. So here's what he says. When you go to God with prayer and there's something you need and you really want to see your heart transformed and your anxiety released, here's what you have to do. You pray and you go before the Lord and you learn to thank him. Now, will your anxiety go away right away when you start praying to God and thanking him? No, that is not the way it works. You give yourself a couple years of intense prayer and thanking God for trials and tribulations and you give yourself enough time to be able to look back and see the faithfulness of God that he's never let you down. This is something I'm telling you, if you're prone to anxiety, it is gonna take sometimes years of discipline with the help of the Holy Spirit, years of prayer and asking God to help you with the spirit of thanksgiving for this anxiety to be fully alleviated. Here's what he says. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Let me tell you what this means. Your life, like, is not going okay. Everyone who is not a Christian looks at you and says, okay, your response is straight up weird. Why are you okay? Nobody should be okay with this. This doesn't make any sense. This surpasses all understanding. This is, this is not, what are you doing? And you're like, you know what? God's never let me down before. And you know what? Every time in the past that I worried, I wish I could have just sat down, a future me would have sat down with current me and said, relax. The Lord has this thing under control. You go do your job. You go do what you have to do. You go work. You go look for this. You go look for that. I mean, you do what you got to do, but I do it out of obedience and not out of anxiety. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your heart and your mind in 
Christ Jesus. Uh, if you are here, there are a couple questions that I, I think you should be asking. And uh, I'm not going to answer them today. I'm just going to tell you the questions. And uh, you can talk about them in your community groups. But what I am going to do is I'm going to put these questions um, on our Q&A podcast in early December. I'm going to invite some friends in. We're going to do some interviews. You can go listen to them there. Uh, but these are questions that if I'm sitting where you're at, I'm like, okay, Michael, but, 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 here, here are the questions. So what about saving, investing, and planning? Is that sin? Like, can I... Can I be like a squirrel and like store up nuts for the winter so that I can have something in the spring? Is that okay? So what about Christians who starve to death? Did God not keep his promise? Can I take medication for my anxiety? I feel like I was born anxious. I've never not known anxiety. Can I overcome this? Are you curious for the answers? Check out our Village Church Q&A podcast in the month of December and you'll find more. What we're gonna do right now is I'm gonna pray and we're gonna come before the communion table. And this communion table is this beautiful, awesome reminder of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's because of what we celebrate here that gives perspective ultimately to our greatest anxieties and fears. Let's pray together. Father, I, um, I'm so grateful that you don't just speak into the... Um, big ethereal issues of life, like where we're gonna go when we die and how we got here, but Lord, you get into the nitty gritties of our emotions and our impulses and our thoughts and your word is so relevant and God, we confess that we have sinful impulses from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, of the Sermon on the Mount to today, we just see ourselves in this. But God, I, I wanna just say thank you for giving us your word. Our desire is to submit our minds, our hearts, and our behaviors under its authority. But God, we also confess we, we, need, we need your help. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, help us? Would you give us a next step? Would you show us how to do this? God, as we come to this communion table, we are profoundly reminded that if you did not give your son, Jesus Christ, for us, the greatest anxiety, the greatest fear of any human would never be resolved the fear of death and judgment before you. And so, Father, on behalf of every follower of Jesus who's placed our faith and our trust in your Son, I wanna say thank you that our greatest anxiety has with finality and decisiveness been dealt with. Thank you in Jesus' name. All God's people said amen. Amen. amen.